Unearthed Memphis, your Memphis history podcast with hosts Alan Compton and Tara Ingram. Hey everyone, welcome to Unearthed Memphis. This is our very first episode and we're extremely excited to bring it to everyone. It's been about a year and a half coming. Uh, We started with a slightly different idea than just straight up history, but then we changed our minds, started writing a little bit, and then life happened, so we stopped. But then quarantine happened and we found the opportunity to get back at it, and here we are. Our goal is to tell Memphis's fascinating stories in hopes that we will get everyone to fall in love or more in love with our city as much as we have. Uh, small aside, you may hear a cat meowing at various times. That is Toka, and she likes to be the center of attention while we are recording things, so be prepared. All right, you ready? Yep. Here it goes. Yours for the asking. George wants to play but needs Daddy to complete Team Catch This Ball, Daddy. How would you like to have this handsome five-year-old play catch with you? How would you like his chubby arms to slip around your neck and give you a bear-like hug? His name is George, and he may be yours for the asking if you hurry along your request to the Christmas baby editor of the Press Cemeter. In cooperation with Miss Georgia Tan of the Tennessee Children's Home Society, the Press Cemeter will place 25 babies for adoption this Christmas. So that is a ad that was placed in a Memphis newspaper for adopting babies. So our first story takes us back to the early 1920s. Adoption was not terribly common in the U.S. prior to the 1920s, but a lady by the name of Georgia Tan moved to Memphis and brought with her the ideas that would change the world of adoption forever. Now, the story of adoption may not seem too scandalous of a tale, but just wait. So Beulah George, Georgia Tan, was born in 1891 in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Her father was a district court judge with a domineering personality. And as a child, she was a tomboy in every sense of the word. Her father thought his daughter was too masculine wearing pants and flannel shirts. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) To try to curtail those tomboy tendencies, he had her studying piano since age five. Because, as we all know, only ladies can play piano. Right, right. As a teenager, she was sent to attend Martha Washington College, and she graduated with a degree in music. Unfortunately for him, Tan didn't want to play music. She wanted to find a way to follow her true passion, the law. She was able to take some summer courses at Columbia University so that she could become a lawyer. She studied hard and passed the bar exam in Mississippi. But sadly for women at that time, becoming a lawyer was uncommon. She settled for becoming something acceptable for an unwed woman, a social worker. (laughs) Her first job... Uh, was at the Mississippi Children's Home Finding Society. It's a clunky terrible name. It does not roll off the tongue very well. Working with the public in a poor state such as Mississippi, she began to develop theories on the differences between classes. She saw the poverty-stricken as breeders, incapable of proper parenting, and the wealthy were uh, of higher type and could rear children well. During her time in Mississippi, her job was to place orphans for adoption, but she soon realized that she should capitalize on this idea and charge desperate couples a hefty fee to become parents. In the 1920s, regulations on adoption were lacking, a fact that Tan began to exploit. Children of poor families who could afford to keep them were acquired and sold to wealthy families. This began Tan's descent into the underworld of the less-than-legal adoption. 
It was also when she decided Mississippi was not the place for baby resale, so her father used his connections to move his daughter, first briefly to Texas, but then on to Memphis. Assuming that she just told him she wanted to move, not that she was going to sell babies. <laughs> that wasn't very profitable in Mississippi. <laughs> right. Uh, before her move to Memphis, Tan began a relationship with Ann Atwood, a childhood friend and co-worker from a children's home in Jackson, Mississippi. At one time, cohabitation between two independent women was socially acceptable, but as time went on, it began to, seem, it began to be seen as homosexual, something that was looked down upon at the time. Of course, this has been happening for centuries. Yeah, they, they called them Boston marriages. And uh, all those female writers from way back in the day that were spinsters, yeah, that, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, shortly before they moved to Memphis, Atwood was pregnant with a child she named George, whom she would call Jack. And she took Jack's father's last name, Hollinsworth, so that people would think she was a widow instead of having had a child out of wedlock. Um, I couldn't find any record of how or why Anne was pregnant and if she was involved with Tan at the time. It just, the only information I could find was that uh, she was having a baby. Um, in 1922, Tan adopted a daughter named June, and she, Tan apparently was not the greatest mother. In an interview with June, um, she said that Tan was a cold fish and that she gave her material things but nothing else. And these actions would later be reflected on her children and her care. Um, also, I couldn't find much on June Tan either. Um, she probably was trying to stay out of the spotlight. Uh, that interview I found in another news article. Um, all right, so with two children in tow in 1924, Georgia and Anne arrived in Memphis and began to use their home as a makeshift adoption agency. And thus began the Shelby County chapter of the Tennessee Children's Home Society. Um, side note, I read they moved here in 1924, but info I found on Jack said he was born in Memphis in February of 1925, so it's possible that Jack may not have been born yet, or it was 1925 when they moved here. It was a long time ago, records aren't terribly accurate. So sometime between 1924 to 1925, they arrived in Memphis, and they eventually acquired a building at 1556 Poplar Avenue. Which, in case anybody would like to uh, buy the place, it is for sale. So, just so you know. May not be the same building. But it May was, not be the same building, but, but it it's is... it's definitely the plot. Yes, yeah. it is there. Uh, the society, as it was called, was well supported by the community. Uh, Tan had many connections and a strong network of supporters. Among these supporters was Camille Kelly, a Shelby County Family Court judge, and the mayor of Memphis at the time, Edward Hull Crump, E.H. Crump. Uh, these two played an integral part in Tan's adoptions. Unfortunately for Tan, in 1941, <clears throat> excuse me, the adoption agency lost its endorsements from the Child Welfare League of America. They had discovered that Tan destroyed most of the paperwork associated with its child, child placements and used that against her to revoke her license. Tan said the Tennessee adoptions were protected by privacy laws and they were not in violation of any practices. Still, the society remained unlicensed under Tennessee law. So by 1950, the society was under investigation, and it was found that Tan had arranged for thousands of her adoptions under questionable means. So what are those questionable means, you might ask? I do. Well, Tan was basically the director of a black market baby stealing ring. So she acquired children in various ways. She arranged taking the children born um, to inmates at Tennessee mental institutions and babies born to wards of the state. 
She would go to nursery schools and steal children from single parents, telling the school she was a welfare agent assigned to remove the children. She would take them from orphanages, where children whose parents were ill or unemployed had left them temporarily. She would find unwed mothers at the hospital, bribe the nurses and doctors to tell the mothers their baby needed medical care and had either died or been stillborn. And sometimes she just stole them off the street with promises of ice cream. Because kids like ice cream. Um, And that being said, there were occasions that girls who found themselves pregnant didn't want their babies and gave them to her the legitimate way to have them adopted out. So most of the children were adopted relatively quickly, but if not adopted out immediately, they spent time in Tan's home. The children in her care would reportedly be neglected, kept sedated until adopted out, physically abused, sexually abused, and even murdered. Memphis in the 1930s had the highest mortality rate in the nation, and probably a good bit of it was due to Tan. As mentioned before, Camille Kelly and the mayor, Boss Crump, were the main accomplices to Tan, and bribery will get you everywhere. Tan would tell Kelly that the children were from homes that could not provide for them, and she would push the adoptions through. Kelly would take custody of the children of divorcing mothers and place them um, with Tan. She would later adopt them out to better homes that could provide for them. And she would sign off on abandonment papers so that Tan could have custody of children to adopt them out. So, to play devil's advocate, maybe... Kelly thought Tan was telling her the truth because she was incredibly gullible. Or maybe Tan was incredibly convincing. Yes. Or maybe Kelly was getting paid under the table. With the growing success of the society, Memphis gained notoriety. This pleased Mayor Crump, of course. Uh, Tan would pay him off in turn for his protection from the investigations. And he would ignore her compl- uh, the complaints from families of children Tan stole and sometimes even helped her seize them. Reportedly, over 5,000 children were adopted out of Tan's Tennessee Children's Home Society. Most of the children were adopted by the wealthy. Some movie stars even got their hands unknowingly dirty by adopting from her. Stars like Joan Crawford, Lana Turner, June Allison, Dick Powell, and even the governor of New York at the time. Uh, one of her adoptees even became famous himself, who was uh, pro wrestler Ric Flair. <laughs> uh, but of course, Tan was only in it for the money, so she didn't care who she adopted to. There were even reported cases of adopting young teenagers to shady single men, children being placed in abusive homes, or used for child labor on farms. She was so eager to get children adopted, she would even put out advertisements. One example is her Christmas ad. Want a real live Christmas present? From our opener. That was uh, part of the opener there that Tara read. Adoptions in Tennessee were possible for $7. And in states such as Mississippi, Arkansas, and Missouri, it cost $750. But for out-of-state private adoptions, which most were, the cost was upwards of 5000 Tan was becoming a millionaire. But as fate would have it, by 1950, Tan was dying from uterine cancer... A new governor was cracking down on Boss Crump and his wily ways, and an investigation into the society had begun. Karma! (laughs) The investigation focused on Tan stealing money from the society, a state-funded entity, which they were more likely to get a conviction on, not the way she was acquiring children to adopt out. It makes sense. You want to get her on something that's provable and will stick. Exactly. But Tan got them in the end. 
She passed away only a few days before the case against her was to be announced. The Shelby County chapter of the Tennessee Children's Home Society was closed only a few months later. But what happened to all the wealth she had acquired? In 1943, Tan adopted Anne, a practice gay couples did at the time, uh, to ensure that she would be the one to inherit her property when Tan died. Uh, I did read one article that said she was adopted as a sister, not a child, but regardless of the semantics, she adopted her. Legal connection. Exactly. Uh, So after her death, Tan was buried in a family plot in Hickory, Mississippi. Anne, on the other hand, went on to lead a very different life. She was never officially employed by the society, although she did help with some of the secretarial duties and escorting children to adopted homes. And while you may want to vilify her, a niece of hers has tried to redeem her aunt's name. Lori Gabriel publicly posted about how generous a woman her aunt was and how much she was loved by her family and how much she loved her family and doted on them. She believes Tan took advantage of Anne and manipulated her to join in her devious adventure. Anne passed away in 1995 after having retired as a secretary from the Boy Scouts and a part owner of a children's store. She was also an accomplished artist. I did not find out if Anne inherited her wealth or not. Um, There's not much known about Anne's life after Tan died. Um, I did find a case Uh, the state versus Hollinsworth, but I couldn't find a definitive outcome. Um, I have linked the article in the show notes, and maybe someone fluent in legalese can interpret it better than I can, but I don't really know if she got any money. Um, Anne's son, Jack, was sadly killed in a plane crash outside of Nashville. Uh, He was 18 and on a flight back to Memphis to see his mother, so he clearly did not inherit anything. Uh, there's a marker in Elmwood Cemetery dedicated to 19 children who lost their lives under Georgia Tan's care. Um, we've seen that at, at, during some of our tours when we've been out there. Since Tan made a habit of destroying the records of children who were adopted out, it was difficult for people to find their lost children or for children to find their parents. It was 1995 before birth certificates and adoption records were released. Since then, several people have searched for their birth parents. Some have even written books on their experiences. One is a book by Debbie Brooke, I believe. I think so. Called No Mama, I Didn't Die, My Life is a Stolen Baby. Uh, There's also a historical fiction novel, Before We Were Yours, by Lisa Wingate, based on the events of the Tennessee Children's Home Society. Uh, There have also been a few films about the events as well. In an odd twist of events, Tan's work made adoption more socially acceptable uh, in the U.S., Many adoption agencies would continue to work in the same manner as Tan, minus the theft, mistreatment, and death. Uh, One way was the practice of closed adoptions. Records were sealed, and children cannot find out their birth parents' identities. Some states still practice this law, but Tennessee was the first state to lift the law in 1999. And there you have it, the story of Georgia Tan, the devious pioneer of adoption agencies. Mm. It's a pretty crazy story. It is crazy and uh, lascivious. Yes. Well, my family has a Georgia Tan story. Yeah. So I'll tell you about it. Uh, my cousin, or my dad's cousin, was a tan baby. And according to the story he told me, because I had to email him, and I was like, Daddy, I know Georgia we have... Georgia Tan, by the way, it's uh, he was not just dark <laughs> from the sun. <laughs> yes. A Georgia tan baby. Well, that doesn't sound any better. He got his tan in Georgia. Oh, heavens. Uh, 
Okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so the story he told me um, was that his aunt and uncle couldn't have children, but they really wanted a baby. And his uncle ran a grocery store and sold books to schools in the tri-state area, so they had a little money to spare, but not much. Georgia Tan ran a story in the newspaper that she was giving away a special baby for Christmas. So unrelated to the buy a baby story. Um, but this was a, a, a lottery giveaway, if you will. Um, you could enter a contest and the winner would get a baby. Like you do. <laughs> so this baby was special. It's like a blender. You win yes. a blender. You win a blender because right. you, you bought a raffle ticket. Um so this baby was special because apparently Tan couldn't sell her because she was not perfect. She had, of all things, a lazy eye. Oh, the horror. Exactly. <laughs> um, the mother of the child had other children, wasn't married, and couldn't afford another mouth to feed, so she gave her to Tan. So this is one of the legit adoptions. Like, she was not stolen. Mama just gave her up. Um, lo and behold, my dad's aunt and uncles were the ones who won the contest. And when they went to pick up this sweet little girl, sadly, she was pretty much neglected and malnourished. Uh, she was nine months old, but apparently the size of a three month old. And baby Anne grew up well taken care of, got married and had children of her own. Uh, I met her when I was in my early twenties and she was very sweet and she actually lived in the same neighborhood I did. Uh, she owned a couple houses next door to each other and always told me that when she got the other house cleaned out, I could live there and we'd be neighbors. She was very, very sweet. Uh, unfortunately, she passed away before that happened, but the sentiment was there and very sweet nonetheless. So that is my Georgia Tan story. Yeah, it's sad that uh, such a small thing like a lazy eye would keep a child from being adopted, though. It's Right. It just doesn't seem right. It's not, it's not, even, any, it's not even like a defect. It's right. just... Something that happens. And, you know, at that time, I, I doubt there were surgeries or things to, to fix that because it right. was the... The corrective glasses, stuff like that. Right. It was the, the 30s, I guess. Yeah. Um, or maybe 40s. I think 30s. But uh, but it was nothing that was going to impair her for life. Not at all. She or, wore or, glasses. Or affect anyone else. Right. You know? Yeah. She wore glasses. Um, yeah, so that's my story. Uh, do any of you listeners out there have any Georgia Tan stories? If you do, drop us a line and let us know. We would love to hear about them from yeah. you. And um, our email address is unearthedmemphis at gmail.com. So you can drop us a line there. And this is our, our little disclaimer that we'll probably end every episode with. We are not historians. <laughs> We are simply two people who are interested in Memphis history, and we have done research and are trying to provide accurate history as best we can. Uh, there is a possibility that some of these facts are incorrect, but we have tried to verify all the info so that we're not putting out any untrue facts. To the best of our knowledge, what we are saying is correct, but let us know if you have any things to add or correct. In the show notes, you will find links to the articles that we used in book titles, etc., to gather information so that we are not plagiarizing anything. This is where we got all of our stuff from. So with that, we hope you enjoyed listening to the first episode of Unearthed Memphis. All right, we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. But in the meantime, check out our website, unearthedmemphis.com. And we're also on social media at Unearthed Memphis on Instagram and Facebook, Unearthed901 on Twitter, or you can send us an email at unearthedmemphis at gmail.com. 
Unearthed Memphis is written, produced, and engineered by Alan Compton and Tara Ingram. The music was written, performed, and recorded by Donnie Wayne Smith and Alan Compton. 